0: Listening to Law and Gospel Wednesday Bible study, and we're going to be taking a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, why are we going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5? This is the season of epiphany. And what does that mean? It means that during this season we learn who Jesus really is. And what his mission is here on earth. For example, if you had been at the Bethlehem stable, all you would have seen is a little baby. And I doubt whether anybody passing by would say, well, he obviously is the Son of God, etc. It's particularly when the wise men come, which is celebrated on the day of Epiphany, that they bring the news that this is the King of the Jews. And of course, they worship him and give him gifts that are suitable for a king, as well as myrrh, which is an embalming fluid, talking about the necessity for his death. So during the season of Epiphany, we learn who this baby really is and what his function and mission is here on earth as sent by the Father. Now... This coming Sunday, we're gonna be taking a look at the baptism of Jesus. Why was he baptized by John the baptizer? And that's why we're gonna look at 2 Corinthians chapter five, beginning with verse 11. Chapter five, verse 11. So let's begin. Therefore, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Now, what's Paul talking about here? He's writing to the church at Corinth, uh, primarily Gentiles, and he's saying, because of the fear of the Lord, that he could send us to hell because of our evil works, because of our sin, we're persuading others also to be aware of the fear of the Lord. Was that not the task of John the baptizer when he came and baptized for a baptism of repentance? This is what Paul is saying. I hope it is known also to your consciences now the conscience is the awareness of your true self it's really a way of distinguishing between what is morally good and what is morally bad and so Paul is encouraging them to know according to your conscience who you really are. You're known already by God. You you can't hide from him. It, it's not like you're Adam after he sinned and went and tried to hide from God in a bunch of bushes where God was. No, there, there's nothing God does not know about you. So Paul in verse 12 says, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Now, what's he referring to? The outward appearance of many of the Pharisees in the day of Jesus was such that people really looked up to them. They wore long robes and they had items on their clothes, clothing that showed how righteous they were, but their heart wasn't with God. So God had intended to create a clean heart within them, but they followed the heart of their old Adam rather than their new man. And so Paul is simply saying that you need to be aware of what I truly am, not by my outward appearance, but by what is in my heart. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for for you. There were actually people, as there are today, who are accusing Christians of being crazy. One of the communist doctrines is the idea that we Christians believe in a God because it gives us hope for the future, even though there's no real evidence for it outside of the scripture. And so, A lot of people may consider us to be out of our mind. That's the New International Version translation. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. So we Christians don't look like we're normal people a lot of times when we're sharing the message of Jesus Christ with others who are unbelievers, because it doesn't make any sense to them. They are living under the impression that how they respond, how they act, how they behave is what's going to save them or damn them. And here comes Christians saying your good works don't count at all as to whether you're going to heaven or to hell. Although we're gonna take a look where it seems like they count, and this is coming down in a verse pretty quick here. Let's go to verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Now, He's, of course, talking about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He died for all, and therefore all have died in Christ. Now, how do we explain that? When Jesus went to the cross, he was taking upon himself the sins of the whole world. That's what is so significant about being baptized by John the baptizer. Remember, John tries to prevent him from being baptized. He says, you know, I need to be baptized by you. And you want me to baptize you? See, that was another temptation to Christ from the devil through John that you don't need to be baptized. Uh, You are not a sinner. And and John knew Jesus as a cousin, but he himself says he didn't know him as the Christ. That became known to him when God the Father told John the baptizer that you will know that he is the Christ when you see the Holy Spirit descend upon him. And that's what John saw, and that's why he said, knowing the Old Testament as he did, Behold, the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sins of the world. When Jesus died on the cross, he was dying for your sins. And therefore, he did not just die for believers. We do not agree with Calvin, who believed that Jesus died only for the elect. No, he died for the sins of everyone. That's why we can say to an unbeliever, Jesus died for your sins. And therefore, on the cross, you also died with him. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So you always want to bring in the resurrection, because that is the way that God the Father, who also raised Jesus from the dead, that is the way he gives evidence that what Jesus did on the cross in saying the words, it is finished, is really finished. There's nothing you have to do in order to have your sins forgiven. Jesus did it all, and and therefore, when you begin to understand what your life is in Christ, you no longer need to live for yourself. In other words, the Bible makes very clear that every unbeliever may do good works, but they always do it out of self-interest. In contrast to Jesus, who according to Philippians, he did it out of our interest. So when you're part of the body of Christ, then you also are able to live no longer for yourself, trying to make sure you do enough to get to heaven. You're living according to Christ, and therefore you're living for the sake of others. What does that mean? Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What does it mean to regard somebody according to the flesh? Well, it's talking about that according to the flesh, we can't tell whether someone is doing it out of self-interest or interest of others. But when we recognize that Christ died for every person, we can have a different attitude towards them. Uh, For example, there are many people living in immoral sin, uh, in immorality today. Well, we dare not look to them and say, I'm better than you are because I'm in disagreement with that. We can be in disagreement with the lifestyle they are living, but make sure that there but for the grace of God go us. So we're not to look at people just according to the flesh any more than we looked to Jesus. Now we make a distinction between those who are believers and unbelievers. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Now, that word old uh, reminds us of the old covenant, A lot of times we use the word testament, but Old Testament and New Testament are never used in the Bible to refer to the books of the Bible. That's the way we divide between the books. But they refer to the two covenants. The one covenant given at Mount Sinai where the people said we will obey everything you say is a covenant of works. Well, that is gone because we failed in being able to keep our word to God. The old has passed away. The new has now come. And that helps us remember passages of Jeremiah, where the old is going to pass away and the new is going to come. And what's the difference? In the new covenant, God no longer remembers your trespasses your sins what does that mean it means he no longer holds you accountable for your sins so verse 18 all this is from god who through christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, wow, this is really the main point of our text for today, because this is a clear distinction, not only between law and gospel, when you're living under the law, you want to be reconciled to God, and God is the problem, he doesn't want to be reconciled to you, because you are a sinner, But under the new covenant, you are the problem. God is reconciled to you. You don't wanna be reconciled to God on his basis. And what is his basis? It's a basis of grace where you can do nothing to make yourself better in the eyes of God. This is the big distinction between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Uh, You'll notice that every other religion in the world gives the impression that you are somebody who has to get God to be reconciled to you. But we don't believe that. We believe God is already reconciled. How did that happen? that happened by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Once your sins were paid for, God is now reconciled to everyone. And so the task of the church is to tell others about the gospel, those are the promises connected to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, so that people will have faith And it is therefore, as the end of verse 18 says, a ministry of reconciliation. Uh, Reconciliation was a word used in the business of money changers. Uh, For example, you could get new money if you paid for it out of the old money. Uh, It was also a word used to buy a slave out of free... uh, Free, out of slavery to be free that's what Jesus did verse 19 that is in Christ God so this is in the second person of the Trinity the first person of the Trinity was reconciling the world to himself and here it comes this definition of forgiveness not counting their trespasses against them, or the King James says, not imputing their trespasses. In other words, you're not held accountable. God no longer reckons you as a sinner when you are in Christ because you receive the gift of the reconciliation of the world. Therefore, God doesn't count trespasses against us. 2 Corinthians five nineteen, such an important verse. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, you gotta understand, all this is God's work. But you can't hear the voice of God as was heard at the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved son, or at his transfiguration, listen to him. God now speaks through us, namely human beings who are believers. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, what is an ambassador? Well, you know, the President of the United States has ambassadors in different countries, and they speak for the President. Here's something the President wants to say to that country, and then they relay it to the leadership and the people of that country. You are ambassadors for Christ. We hear, as God the Father said at the transfiguration, listen to Jesus, and then we make an appeal from God to you. Be reconciled to God. See, this is so different than every other religion. Every other religion tries to get God to be reconciled to you by having you do good works so God becomes satisfied with you. Verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is probably the most important verse in 2 Corinthians chapter five. It explains why Jesus said to John the baptizer, no, it's necessary for me to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. He's talking about not only the righteousness between him and the Father, but also our righteousness that we need. Now, why is John the baptizer's baptism so important? We consider this to be the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. This is where the mission be- begins according to Christ. For example, John knew Jesus to be the Lamb of God, but he was unaware that he also had to become a sinner. You see, and that's why the temptation of Jesus is so important also. If he was just a human being with divine qualities and not at all ever tempted, he never could have become sin for us. By taking... Upon himself, the baptism of John, that was a baptism of repentance toward the gift of the forgiveness of sins. But John himself makes it clear that the one coming after me, namely Jesus, is also going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's what the baptism at Pentecost is all about. But for Jesus to take upon our sins there were a number of things that had to happen. He, first of all, had to become a human being because only a human being could die and take on the sins of another human being. That's clear from Revelation chapter 5 where a strong angel who is holy and righteous is not considered worthy enough to open the scroll of salvation. It takes Jesus who is shown in Revelation 5 to be a slain lamb, having died on the cross. Now, if he died on the cross as a divine human, then he would not have died for anyone's sin. So he had to become sin for you. And that's why he was baptized by John with a baptism of repentance. With that baptism of repentance, he became sin for us. You can always tell whether somebody understands this by asking this question. In the Bible, who do you think would God consider to be the greatest sinner? And if they don't say Jesus, then they haven't understood the mission of Jesus fully. You don't have to understand that to be saved. You can believe he died on the cross for our sins. But this is a way in which the epiphany is made clear. He has begun to be shown as the savior of the world because he became sin for you. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, what God does with you is the exact opposite he did with Jesus. Jesus never sinned. God declared him to be sin. And Jesus underwent the baptism of repentance to be declared by God to be sin for us. The opposite happens with you. You cannot be righteous. Just like Jesus never sinned, you never do a righteous good work. But through faith in Christ, God declares you to be righteous in his sight. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 is all about. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. God bless.